0: You can turn to Luke 8 is where we're going to be. We're going to be floating around Luke in some different places, but we'll start in Luke 8 uh, this morning. And just by way of uh, introduction, if you missed last week, we talked about worshiping fully. And and my prayer for you, it's time to take an assessment, but my prayer for you is that that each week we're entering into December here, that each week that the the glory of, of the story we're talking about in December would be unveiled to you more and more, rather than the glory of the incarnation, the glory of worshiping Christ during the season being more and more veiled to you. So I don't know for you personally how your week has been, but as you take inventory over the last seven days, maybe even since we talked, um, I wonder how, how that's going about it being veiled more and more uh, or if it's being unveiled. Today is really the second part in uh, in in a little four-week thing that we're doing, uh, and the big idea is is spending less. Uh so that's kind of where we're going. Luke 8 is where we'll start. Uh let me have a question, or let me pop a question for you here first, and that is this how many of you uh how many of you like to share? Okay? All right. Now some of you immediately raise your hand. Some of you immediately are like, that's definitely not me. Uh I've made a commitment to be honest, and so I'm gonna keep my hand down. And then some of you are really shrewd. And what you're asking is this you're like, give me the context. Because sharing has many faces, doesn't it? And so some of you are like, sometimes the answer is yes, but sometimes the answer is no. Now here's what I preceded the question with. We're gonna talk about spending less. And then I asked the question, how many of you like sharing? So some of you wily foxes out there, you're like, I'm already keeping my hand down, I know where this is going. Let me give you let me give you a little idea about the different faces of sharing. Think about sharing experiences, right? Um, some of you long for this day one day, some of you experience this uh Recently, some of you uh, maybe do this often. Uh, but experiences shared can be a really good thing. Or in a crowded elevator, uh, that's a shared experience. Uh, it can be a, a, a real bummer and even panic-inducing. How about sharing a part of you? Here's some friends just talking at a, at a nice you know, place on a park bench. Um, here's here's uh, sharing a part of you that we don't like as much. Um, and you just you, know, you want to move on from those things. Uh, how about sharing a meal? This is a famous meal that was shared on screen. But some of you uh, have siblings, and this is how mealtime looks a little bit more. Um, You know, we just throw chunks of meat on the table and then let them let them kind of go at it. So, uh, so sharing can be you know can be different things uh, in different seasons at different times. Let me just say at the outset this morning that uh, that I'm going to meddle a little bit this morning. Um, It's going to feel a little bit personal. Like, wow, is he allowed to ask those things? Is he allowed to talk about those things? And let me just say at the outset, as I'm prepping you that I'm going to meddle, um, that I'm not your nanny, I'm not your accountant, I'm certainly not your mommy, uh, but some of you are like, thank you, Lord, for him not being my mommy. But as your pastor this morning, let me, just, let me just invite you to do this. Let me invite you to consider some things that the Lord Jesus Christ calls us to and, 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 and walked in himself by way of example for us. Christians are called to share. Now, on the surface of that statement, that is not so radically different from a lot of different other people and people groups and even religions, is that people are called to share. People get that and understand that. Here's the difference. When you go a little bit deeper, here's the giant difference about how Christians are called to share and and how other people share. You don't need to be a Christ follower to share. But the big difference is this. We are called to share like Jesus did. Now, just for those of you who know the scriptures at all, for those of you who've walked with Jesus for a season, for those of you who know a little bit about his life, think about how Jesus shared. He shared sacrificially. He shared purposefully. He shared with those who don't play nice, right? And here's probably the toughest one. He shared constantly. Everywhere he went, that's what actually characterized his life was sharing sacrificially. Now, the Advent conspiracy uh, foursome is this, worship fully, spend less, give more, and love all. On the front cover of your bulletin uh, this morning is a bit of a goofy picture, um, but, uh, but it really drives home this point, that, um, that really sharing is made possible. I'm going to talk about two things this morning. It's made possible with a plan. It's made possible with prayer. Okay, uh, once a year, I allow myself to get kind of cutesy with the, you know, both starting with the same letter. And we're, we're on that week, uh, the weeks, the, the years winding down. Um, here's the point. The only way to give more and love all is to spend less. That's, that's what we're going to talk about. Now, here's a few agreements as we start off with this. As I meddle, as I talk about some things that um, sometimes we'd rather not get into and rather not get into to, to dialogue about, but the Bible had no qualms getting into people's wallets and money because it drove, it pointed to where their heart was at. So I'm going to have no qualms with it either. But here's three agreements. One is this. You are not responsible for what you don't know. Okay. So just like any good parent wouldn't get mad at their child for not doing something they didn't tell them to do, you're not responsible for what you don't know. Now, some of the things that I'm going to read for you are in plain English this morning. They're, they don't take a doctorate to understand. They're the plain words of Christ. And so we might walk out of here knowing some things, being reminded of some things, That all of a sudden we say, okay, now what are we going to do with what we've just been given? Secondly is this. We just talked about grace. We just sang about it. And grace is needed, and here's the second part, grace is extended, okay, for all past spending and all present spending and all future spending that may go on here, all right? So, so let me just say that. Here's, here's what this morning's about, though. When I say grace is extended, it means this. Let's not cry over spilled milk, but, but here's my heart for this morning. Let's not keep spilling milk if we can help it. Right. Let's not just keep doing the same thing over and over and and, and have these messes to kind of clean up. And this deep sense of regret after a season of time that we just say, man, why do we keep on spilling the milk? Here's the third thing. Today is mostly not about telephone booths or lyrics from Joy to the World. And it's really not even mostly about money. That's what that's that's another big idea I want you to 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 catch with all of this. Jesus spoke in parables, and for those who had ears to hear, for those who would go a little bit deeper under the story, and who would probe, and who would who would linger on, and say, "God, what do you have for me in this?" There was always richer meaning, right? So it is this morning that I think if we let this just kind of camp out on, okay, I guess I need to do something with my money and let it just sit there, then we've missed the idea of last week, which is this is really all about worship. And we've even missed the idea of some things that are going on this morning. Here's what I need right now. I need all the December birthdays to stand up right now. Would you stand up if your birthday is in December? I know we've got a few. Um, okay. Now I know. Keep standing. Keep standing. Any more? Any more? Okay. I know that several of you in this room have a giant urge to sing. We're going to refrain. Okay. We're just going to refrain from that. We can do that at the welcome lunch after service. Um, but, but here's my idea this year, um, for all of you December birthdays is I thought what we could do is, um, is celebrate with, uh, with angel food cake, dark chocolate frosting. And then I thought we could all load up in my van and we'd go, uh, do some coffee tasting. While at the beach, does that sound good for everyone for their birthday? Okay, we've got you guys are so agreeable. Okay, give it up for the December birthdays. Um, if now Gria didn't answer, see Gria is the one who I, I know Gria is not okay with that. Um, if I if I threw in the fact that we're going to talk about iPhones the, the entire time, I really know he'd not be okay with that. Here's the thing: if if, if we're celebrating their birthday, whose opinion and whose Whose priority gets, gets, gets the, the call of the day? It's the person whose birthday it is, right? Obviously. Those are all things I enjoy. That's how I may want to spend my birthday. Here's the point. We're heading into a season where we are celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ. Whose wishes get priority? It's Jesus's. So let's celebrate His birthday, His way, with things that please him, just like we'd want to do with any other birthday we ever celebrate. It's about that person being honored and celebrated. That's really at the heart of what we're talking about. Um, all right, so uh, in, in terms of thinking about prepare hymn room, um let me just let me just say this. I think that I think that many times when it comes to needs, when it comes to uh either a a need with time or a need with money, there are many, many times where we come along and we see a person in need. First of all, sometimes just to see the needs of people, yeah, I mean you have to attribute that to God. Because many of you walked through life for a season of time and you didn't see that many needs. I, I mean they were there, but you quickly changed the channel. Or you quickly averted your gaze. Or you quickly changed the subject. But maybe now God's moved you to a place where you genuinely see the need. Praise God for that. That's a, that's a grace and a gift of God. So you see the need, but, but then you, you walk by and you go, man, I would really love to help. And that really is the intent of your heart. But you pull out your wallet, you look at your watch, and here's what you say, there isn't enough to share there isn't enough time to give right now there isn't enough you know resources that i have to be able to offer something more there's never enough the way to have enough to share is to plan for it it's to prepare for it it's to prepare Room so that you can share. Now, some of you in the room are planners. I get that. And you are just like, hot dog, finally we're going to talk about something meaningful here. And you're just excited. The non-planners, let me say this to you, the non-planners in the room, you're not excluded from this. Because the kind of planning that I'm talking about, it doesn't say, all right, those of you who are really good at logistics, those of you who think nine years ahead, those of you who have you know task lists that go on for days and are good at that, um, that's not necessarily who I'm talking to. How many of you are having companies at some point in December? We are having some people over very soon. Okay, many of you are having company in some way, shape, or form, and here's the deal. You are making plans for it. doesn't mean you have to be planning very well. It doesn't mean that you're planning in a timely way. This is part of the joy of marriage. Oftentimes, a planner marries a non-planner, right? And they're like, let's go on vacation. Where? Let's get in the car and find out. That will drive a planner crazy. You know? And so you'll just go down the road trip and I see the smiles. You know it's not just in my family. And so it's so fun to just kind of watch that from the back seat of the van and just watch mom and dad work this out. And that's kind of that's kind of how it goes sometimes, right? But the bottom line is you're making plans if you're having people over. You're 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 making plans for extra food for a meal. You're making plans of where we're going to put people for the event. If you're having anyone over overnight, you're making plans to figure out how are we going to accommodate and make room for things. All right, look in Luke 8. And in Luke 8, Jesus is talking in parable. It's a story. And and he's basically telling a story about a sower, a guy who's tossing seeds out. And he's talking about seed. He's pretty fixated on the seeds, in fact. That's really the highlight of the story. And as he's talking along, uh, he's telling this story. And then, uh, and then right around verse 9, uh, uh, or a little bit before that, uh, his disciples are saying, basically, we don't get it. We, we don't get what this is about. And Jesus says, let me unfold it for you. I'm, I'm going I'm to give you um, the story. I'm going to give you kind of the, the the key to this. And then he says this. He basically points out that the seed that I'm talking about, anytime you hear the seed in this parable, we're talking about the word of God. It's the message of Of God. That's what the seed is. Okay? And then in verse 14, look at what it says. It says this. He's talking about the different seed that fell in different places, and he says this The seeds that fell among the thorns represent those who hear the message, but all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the cares and riches and pleasures of this life, and so they never grow into maturity. I want to take our focus of this morning and kind of hone in on that, that there's these different kinds of seed in different places. I would venture to guess in this room this morning, maybe all of these seed stories would apply, but I want to take our focus and bring it into this one because here's what I think may plague the prosperous church, whether it's in America or many other parts of the world, but the prosperous Christian church is this right here. That people, that we, never grow into maturity because of these things. The cares and riches and pleasures of this life. Last week we talked about worshiping fully. And here's how the people of God entered the promised land and walked with God. Here's what they did. They didn't ever just completely abandon God and say, we're out of here. Like the prodigal son. Instead what they did was they added to worship. Remember that? They added Asherah poles. They took on the practices of a land they were supposed to wipe out. They, they let other things seep in. And when you go back to this picture that God talks about his church and himself in bridal language, let your mind go where that should go. A husband and a wife are not to be adding to anything but exclusive devotion. And that's how serious it was to God. So we talked about worshiping fully and letting our hearts be fully his. Now listen to this again, that the message is crowded out by the cares and riches and pleasures of this life. It's not that we stop opening the Bible on Christmas morning. It's not that we stop coming to church and worshiping. It's not that we don't tie in all the beautiful symbols of Christmas back to the light of the world who came to a dark place. We do all of that, but we don't grow into maturity. The seed of, doesn't take root and produce fruit because of these different thorns that kind of creep into our life. Later on, look down at verse 21. He's talking about, he shifts gears a little bit here, but he says this. He says, my mother and my brothers are those who hear God's word and obey it. So so what I'm challenging you to, 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 to do this morning is this, is even in the way that we hear God's word, there's a way we could hear it And just let other things choke it out. There's a way that we can hear it and not obey it and not be the true family of Jesus. That's just playing church. That's just religion. That's just going and getting some good platitudes and some good things to live by. And there's the true disciples who hear God's word and obey it. And I want to boil it down to that really simple thing. Now, here's here is two things that we're going to talk about this morning. Here's my wallet. Okay? I'm a minimalist. I like small things. I'm going to put my wallet right there. Don't feel tempted to come up and run and grab that thing because I'll just cancel the credit cards and there's not a whole lot of cash in there. I've got seven kids. I also want to talk about, about time. Okay? And, it, and if you think about time and your money, time and your money are... Two great indicators: a, just of what you're worshiping, what you value, what's really important to you. What I want to do is I want to talk about about your wallet. And I want to talk about your watch or your calendar this morning, and, and how we can lift those to God. How we can how we can worship with these two things. Let's talk about your wallet first. Here are a couple of advertising realities, okay. You face, now I don't know who counts these or how they come up with these, but I'll just regurgitate a stat that I read that I, I don't disbelieve. I think it's I think it's pretty dead on. But on average, depending on your screen time, whether it be computer, whether it be smartphone, whether it be TV or something else, or just driving billboards and that kind of thing, that the average person faces one to three thousand ads per day. Okay? And much of our public space. Much of our commute, much of the things we're trying to read and look at on a screen are actually just advertisements that are just kind of bombarding us. And I want you to think about something. As you, as you look at these ads, ask what message is really being served up to you. This is a really, really good practice to, to do yourself. It's a really good practice to usher your kids into. Because most advertisements, they don't outright lie, but sometimes they misrepresent the truth, don't they? They'll sell something with something that has nothing to do with the product. uh, Or they will just conceal the truth. So in other words, instead of lying, they will not say what's really true. And that's part of the advertising world. Now, ad creators are trained to convince you that wants are actually needs. And one of the ways they do this is this. There's kind of a, a distaste that can be created by the old and then what that does is it fosters kind of this, this ever-new lust for something new. Okay, Now, here's the new, right? And sometimes it's just as silly as this, right? You have this old whatever, whatever, whatever. Aren't you the peon of the group? But get this, and look at all these friends that will rally to you with deep, meaningful, lasting relationship. Right. That's That's a part of what is there. Now, no matter what ad we're talking about, um, or what product we're talking about. And again, in this room are many people who sell and make different products. Even if you totally believe in your product, here's what advertising by default is intending to do. It's They're all rallied and, and, and unified on one point, and it's this, spend more. It's just spend more of your money. Now, it might be spend more of your money to get this medication to really help your child you know, get out of this illness. That's a great thing. But the advertising, make no mistake, is out to say this message, spend more money. So what I just want to draw out, are, these are advertising realities that are just there. Here are a couple of spending realities. When it comes to, to fighting the more monster, we talked about this in James, because James talked a lot about the money about money, didn't he? Here's a couple of observations. Money buys stuff, and it buys some level of fun, but money will never buy happiness, peace, relationship, joy, some of these fundamental things. That's just a spending reality. No matter how much money you ever put out, no matter how much money you make and invest so that you can have more to spend, it will never buy some of these core, deep things. Here's another spending reality. The rich have a harder time with spiritual matters. Those who are wealthy and don't literally need to be on their knees praying, God, today, would you just give me my daily bread and have it mean something? have a harder time with spiritual matters. Because by default, there's this crutch called your self-reliance, your bank account, the stuff you can fall back on. And it tends to blind our eyes, and I'll lump all of us in this room, from the spiritual realities that are out there. Jesus described it this way. Remember the camel going through the eye of a needle? That's the context he was talking about. Thirdly is this, that greater treasure is found in giving than in receiving. Now, I think the older you get, you don't even have to be a Christian. The older you get, you get glimpses of this all the time. It used to be when I was a kid, I couldn't wait to get my presents at at birthday time or Christmas time. And, And it was okay to give, but better? I mean, come on, there was such a gap to that. There was no way it was better. But, but then God, you know, God gives a spouse to me, and then God gives some kids to me. And all of a sudden, I start to clue into that. I go, wow, Jesus wasn't lying there. But that is a buying reality, that it's more blessed to give. It's better to give. It's more worthwhile and treasured to give than to receive. Here's what the challenge is for you. What if you spent money on one less gift this year so that you have something to give away. Some of you already practice this, so you need to take this challenge and modify it, lest we become Pharisees, right? Because we could be like, oh, I started doing that in 1978. I'm good. But the heart behind it is this. What if we intentionally didn't spend just on one gift this year that we normally probably would have so that we could take the money and then have something so that when the need arises, we don't look and go, Man, in that moment, I really, really do wish I had something more to give. Flip over to Luke 12. In Luke 12, actually, yeah, you can just go there for now. We won't quite get to it. Yes, we will. Uh, Luke 12, starting in verse 13. Follow along with me. It says this. So someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. rich toward God. Christians can and should lead the way out of this rampant accumulation of stuff. They can and they should. And instead, run toward being rich toward God and to figure out what that looks like. The idea is this, said said a different way is this, live more simply so that others may simply live. What if we simplified our living so that others could simply live? Some of us are so concerned with our standard of living. And again, it's really easy to be bombarded on a skewed view of what standard of living looks like. I mean, I get people who legitimately think I'm doing my kids wrong by having them share a room. You put all those kids in that house, how many rooms do you have? I mean, I'm getting scolded in this moment. I want to say one. We all sleep together, I mean, in one room. Like, now what are you going to do with it? You know, I mean, honestly. But, but, I, but I'm getting scolded because of this. Why? Because there's kind of this standard of living that says, you're not doing your kids right. Man, you, you, you deciding to have a certain number of kids, you're not doing them right. They don't even have their own room. As if that somehow is, is some standard up there. Kids who are in the front row, it's not going to happen anytime soon, so... Until you move out. You pay for it, you can have your own room. It's called a studio <laughs> apartment. All right, let's move on to calendar. Um, look, look at this phone booth again, okay? This phone booth represents some of your calendars. I haven't peeked. I'm not hacking into your system. I just know some of you, and I know myself. We tend to find every nook and cranny, and we just shove. And we go, can we do, can we do this? Yeah, let's do it. Let's get it in there. Once again, sometimes this isn't a bad thing. Sometimes this is from a heart of saying, man, I, I want to I I utilize my time well. Sometimes, though, it's this. I want to get as much out of this life as I can. I want to give my kids every experience they possibly can. I want to experience everything I possibly can. And unlike many places in the world, we are running at such a pace that it's getting, getting some soul sickness going on because of it. The thought... The mentality is this. If some is good, then more must be better. And as many in this room can probably attest to in different points of rational thinking in your life, that's not always the case. It's not always the case in money. It's not always the case in time. So Ephesians 5.15, just listen to it. It says this. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Time is a gift to steward in the same way that your health is a gift to steward, in the same way that your money is a gift to steward. But I earn my money. God gave you the gifts and the breath to go and do your job that someone would pay you money to do what you do. All good things come from God. They find their source in God. So it is with time. It's a a gift to steward. Ephesians tells us to look carefully how we walk, making the best use of time. What that means is we need to evaluate. How are we spending our time? How are we investing it? George, the world says this, let every heart prepare him room. We won't turn there. We'll stay in Luke 12 for a minute. But in Luke 2 is the Christmas story, right? And in the Christmas story, there's a great picture that's offered to us. There was no room made for Jesus at the hotel, right? It was booked solid. Business was good. It's all packed. No room was made. What a picture because the gift that could have gone on there was missed. Moved on down the street. Taken somewhere else. Why? Because it's jam-packed. Business is good. No room. Elsewhere... Some accommodation happened, and the gift was realized there. I want to highlight our church programming for a second. We have a church programming culture around here that says this. We are going to intentionally practice the art of saying no to almost everything so that we have time to invest and give outside of this building in our neighborhoods. We have a children's department that over the last six years, many people have come with many great ideas of what children's ministries could do. I have years and years and years of church leadership of what great children's ministries could do. What I know is there's a cost to that. When you say yes to that, your time is limited. It says no somewhere else. I'll tell you who's grabbed onto this really well is our youth department. Our youth department spends minimal time in programming. doesn't mean we don't have a, a, a program, but quite intentionally, most of the year, the middle schoolers meet every other week. The high schoolers meet every other week. You know what the middle schoolers and high schoolers in my family want to do? They want it every week. They would love to get together every week. This isn't to give Ben a vacation. This isn't to give the youth leaders a nice, you know, a nice break every other week. The purpose explicitly, and it was given on the city this last week, the purpose explicitly is we will meet every other week so that you can invest in your friends next door at John Muir, so that you can be around the people who will shape your spiritual upbringing the most, that is, your parents and caregivers, so that you can practice Christianity and spiritual disciplines on your own and not keep leaning on a youth group. And the ultimate so that with this, in terms of youth ministry and children's ministry, would be this. So that when you leave the nest, it's not just been a giant party for you, and now the party's over, and no one welcomes you at the door and says, Hey, glad you're here! And so you stop coming to church. Instead, you've developed some of this... As we go along. So here's the cost to that. Some of you have already experienced that at our last church, we did this and that really ministered to me. You know what? I've got some of those. At our last church, some things went on that really ministered to me. I really liked. And it costs time and invested time and it poured resource back into here and the and the so that that overprogramming leads to is this when you overprogram so that you have no extra margin of time or resource when there's a need outside of your community group outside of your church outside of these four walls so some churches sometimes we can get so overprogrammed so stuffed in the telephone booth so to speak that a heartfelt message is given to say we are to be spreading the seed of God's word, just like the sower, and we're to go. And we go, man, I would love to. I mean, that's the hope of the world. I'd love to. But I've got choir practice Monday night. I lead a Bible study on Tuesday night. Wednesday night, I need some me time. Thursday night, I've got my own community group going on. And Friday night, there's a sweet party going on at the church, and I'm bringing the beans. So whatever it is, we have a filled up thing. And we go, I just don't have time for that you kidding me? With a full-time job and raising a family and all this church stuff, I just don't have time. So we have, we have said as a church, and we want, we want to intentionally create that. My invitation, my challenge would be for you to do the same. What we're doing collectively as a church, do the same as a family. Do the same as an individual. Here's the, here's the challenge is this. The buck stops here, by the way, is this. Once again, like we talked about last week, Please don't make regulations and judgments about the family sitting next to you or across the aisle. I, don't, I wonder how much time they spend. I know I spend. Don't do that. This is the buck stops here. Do you take ownership of it for yourself? That's all we're talking about here. So the buck of money stops here. Spend time on one less outing this year so that you have some time to give away. Now, here is at least one subtle temptation on spending less, whether it be time or money. Here's the subtle temptation. It's missing the so that part of it. If you miss the so that part of it, here's what it looks like. Then all of a sudden, um, you will drift into something else. Time that is saved turns into home projects, right? Or, uh, Or more sleep or whatever it might be. That's what time saved can look like. And money not spent elsewhere on gifts simply turns into a rainy day fund. You might just start saving and say, well, good, we finally get to do this kind of saving or whatnot. There is a drift, there's a subtle drift that you can get this first part of it. Good, I spent less this year. Some of you are in a financial place this year that you say, not a problem. I got that part. I'm going to spend less this year. There's just less to spend. But it's that so that part. Spend less so that you can give more. Spend less so that you can love all. And that's and that's the part. That's where it turns into worship. Do you see how you could do this very pharisaically, very check the box off? There, I did it. I spent less. But it turns into worship when you say, you know what? We're going to spend less this year so that we can give over here. And I would be explicit. I would walk, if you have kids, I would walk them through this with you and say, here's, here is what we're doing with this. What if celebrating Advent 2012 doesn't simply usher in a new season of the year, but a new season of your life. One of the things that's on the heart of the elders, and we, we talk and pray about this all the time, we, we don't want to be a church that, that just gives in a season. We don't want to be a church that just kind of is summarized by this big summer missions push where we all go and do something together and give. And then, whoo, boy, we took a week off of vacation. Now we can get back to kind of the norm around here um, and can't wait till next year. We'll get lots of planning going. We just say, God, how do we do this where we can't possibly say this came from us? This has to be the sustaining thing that, that you are doing in us. What if one less gift took root and sprouted and actually sprouted life for some of the uns? Okay, Here's the uns I'm talking about. The unevangelized. I mean, what if someone this year, wouldn't this be an incredible gift? That you got to be there and be the spiritual midwife, so to speak, of someone getting ushered into the kingdom of God? Wouldn't that be phenomenal? Wouldn't it be phenomenal if you did sacrificially something with your time so that that was able to happen? Incredible. Here's another un. What if it sprouted life for the uneducated and some learning started to go on as a direct result of your keeping your money in your pocket for a gift you would have bought in some way, shape, or form or or with your time? How about for the unhoused? How about for the unfed? How about for the unloved? I don't know which ungroup kind of, you know, hits your guitar string and you just go, man, that's the one I resonate with. But whatever one it is, man, what if you just began to pour some focus into that and say, we, we want to love on these who are un-whatever. All right, here's some really practical things. How do we get here? When we talk about, uh, about some different uh, cutting back and spending less, how do we get there? Bottom line is this, that sharing like Jesus requires new hearts. There, there's really no other way around this. When I say that, that we can get there with, with plan and prayer, some of you who are, who are in the flesh people are like, good, I can do this. And I think, I think on some level I want to fan that flame, but I want to be very quick to say this. This will spoil if all it is is in this season, cutting back to kind of not do something for yourself, to kind of give something else in your own strength. To really love all, to get to the end of this thing, it absolutely requires new hearts. It requires a brand new way of seeing things. It requires a brand new set of ears, and that's only a gift of God. That's where prayer comes in. Let me just give a couple of examples, by the way, of those who, in our midst, are, in my opinion, living this out. These are just calling out some highlights, okay? Here's 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 a couple. We have a nonprofit called Love Inc. that we support as a local missionary. Rich Henderson and his family often are here uh, at the second service if he's not teaching somewhere else at a different church. But many in this room have spent less on cleaning their gutters to go clean someone else's gutters. You've spent less gas and your own car wear and tear to drive where you need to go so that someone else can get to where they need to go. That's what this is talking about. That happens all the time. I may or may not, before the end of the year, decide to read you the vast list that I get from Love, Inc. every year of just seeing, here are all the needs that were met by your church body this year. I tell Rich, I'm like, man, what a cool Christmas gift. You've tracked that, and you know, he's a number of guys. Just put it all there, and, and there I, I get to see it. There it is. That's, that's Love, Inc. Money, time, talent given away to others. There are many children's and youth workers who are sitting in this room right now who have spent hours on a bus away from their family, who get up early uh, and maybe come in separate cars so that children's uh, ministry can be well-loved and well-worked on, who spend countless hours away from here, outside of here. And what they're doing, what you are modeling, what you are practicing is exactly this. You are spending less time with your family. You are spending less energy working toward your own kids so that you can be a blessing to the many. That's exactly what that's talking about. So kudos to children's and, and youth workers. Many uh, have gone to Mexico and given time and money offered in worship. While we don't want to focus just on a once-a-year missions trip, that's a giant part of our church, isn't it? And, and, and many trips have gone on and will continue to, to, to go on. And people will sacrificially give in an effort to be a blessing to others. Coming up is Help One Child. That's another ministry where you would take some of your own time, some of your own gift-buying power for your own kids, and say, man, I want to give it to a kid who doesn't have that. The people in the band who come every week, the people who do facilities, yes, in the rain, Um, On and on it goes. There's a team of people who clean this church by volunteer basis. So many other pastors are like, you don't hire that out? I said, no, we're a family, and we just farm that out, and we have a congregation that loves this place and is vested enough to come and do it. Not because their house is sparkly clean, and they don't need to clean their own house, but because they love this place, and they want to come and give an offer Most years at this church, twice a year, we've done a neighborhood workabout, which is to go and be a blessing to others, not because we have all of our stuff together. We have cars to fix. We have lawns to mow and all of that. But we want to help those who are stuck and can't help themselves. So on and on it goes. Here's the last one, by the way. Those are all kind of formally called out uh, ministries of NBC. On a regular basis, there are many people in our church who are extending themselves right, I mean, literally right to the edge, and they're calling me frantic, going, I don't know if I have much more to give. It's not a ministry. It's not anything else. You know what? It's there. It's there because we don't have tons and tons of program that that needs to be supported. They're in people's lives. They're meeting them in lines. at stores. They're neighbors with them. They're friends with them, and it's awesome to see. Other ministries like kids clubs and whatnot that aren't kind of under the umbrella here necessarily, but just dramatic amounts of energy and effort being poured forth in worship. That's what we're talking about. Here's the priorities I want to invite you to pray into your life. Um, number one is this, fear God's assessment of you and not people's. Fear God's assessment of you and not people. Uh, look at verse 4 in Luke 12 if you're there. He says this, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body, and after that, nothing more uh, that that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has the authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Now, I know it's not a very Christmassy-sounding message if you don't understand the gospel. But the gospel, the good news, is that there really is wrath coming. There really is punishment coming for sin, and there's a path of escape. That's the gospel. The Lord Jesus Christ took our punishment so that we can legally walk out free, and not only that, be adopted in as sons and daughters. Don't let your money or your calendar be driven by fear of others. And I know us, we allow that. We allow our calendar to fill up because we don't want to let someone down or it's not worth the headache of saying no. We use money and we give gifts maybe even and we spend dollars more in fear of others rather than in worship of God. Here's the question for this one. Who am I seeking to please with my money and time? Simple question. Who am I seeking to please with my money and time? Is it myself? Is it other people? Is it God? And fundamentally, Obviously, the Bible says, let it be God. Here's the second one. Trust in God for for your life, not in things. To recap, verse 15 of Luke 12, it says, And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Praise God for that. Whether you have a lot of stuff or a little stuff, praise God for that. 1 Timothy six seventeen, Paul's writing to a young pastor. He says this, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good and to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. There's our word. Here's the question for you. Am I confusing wealth? For life. Am I confusing wealth for life? If you have a rising bank account, a good little nest egg, things are on the rise, you got the new job, you think the raise is coming, the Christmas bonus is coming, and that is lifting your spirits, look at that. Examine that and say, Lord, I don't want that to be the source of my hope. Would you free me from that, from all covetousness? All right, thirdly is this. Verses 35 to 59 of Luke 12 talk about focusing on eternity, seeking after the unseen. I just said seek after the unseen. Now, if you're a Christian person, you just sometimes we let the familiarity of that just kind of roll off, like, amen, brother, we should seek the unseen. But what I want to do is I want to challenge you here on a Sunday to take those two you know, seemingly paradoxical ideas and wrestle with it. Say, God, help me go deeper with that. Don't let me just kind of accept that as a little fortune cookie statement that I could tape up somewhere. Let me really wrestle with that. What does it look like to set my heart, to set my gaze on these truths that can't be seen? Money won't buy joy. Money won't buy happiness or contentment or all these things. Help me set my my mind on those realities, on all the gifts that we have in Christ Jesus. In Luke twelve thirty seven it says this. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. This is talking about the second advent, the return of Christ. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table, and he will come and serve them. Here's the question. Do I really believe that the physical world is temporary? Do I really believe that? And when it comes to our time, what do I want to be doing when Jesus returns? Isn't that a potent question? With whatever activity you're ever engaged in, to say, would I want to be found doing this when the Lord returns? Man, that just levels me to think on that and to think of the reality of that. Let me invite the band up right now. We are going to sing... We are going to take up our offering and worship in that way. I want to get really practical with a couple of ideas. 1 John 3.17 says this, But if anyone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need and refuses to help, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let us stop just saying that we love each other. Let us really show it by our actions. It is by our actions that we know we are living in the truth so we will be confident when we stand before the Lord. I've tried to give you some really practical things at the end of each message. I'll continue that. Here's one. One is to make a memory. When you make a memory as a gift, it's kind of a double whammy because you might be spending less money and you might be making the most of your time. So it might be kind of a win-win situation. Um, Just budgeting every dollar. What if you commit, even if you're not a normal budgeter, What if you commit to really understand where every dollar goes this Christmas season and you really understand what you've spent? Just doing that is being careful with your money. I'm not going to stand here and say you need to budget and and all of that every part of the year. Some of you are budgeters. But what if you just had a logical, informed data in front of you say, here's here's what I spend on Christmas. What that does is that gives context to your spending. Do I have the money to get this this for this person? Well, let's check it out. What have I budgeted for? That way when you find a good bargain, some of you are great bargain hunters, it's not just this nebulous thing out there. I've gotten lots of bargains, so I'm sure I can go more over here. That way at the end of the day we can at least be honest with ourselves and say, you know what, I budgeted for such and such, I nailed it, and therefore I did have this left over intentionally to be a blessing to someone else. Here's one more. What if you offer your specific talent as a gift this year? There's this whole relational gift-giving idea. I told you about it last week, um, probably other places as well, but uh, rethinkchristmas.org, I think, is the is the website. But what if you offered your specific talent as a gift to someone? Some of you are great cooks. Some of you are great storytellers. Some of you are cinemat- cinematographers and love to make movies. Some of you are adventurers and babysitters and and all that kind of thing. Write up a promise certificate. Go take someone on an adventure. Go use who you are as a blessing to someone else. You've got your own ideas. You've got your own creativity. Use it. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would stir in our hearts, not because of my words um, and not because of a just collective peer pressure, God, but really welled up from you, that we would spend less so that we could be a channel of grace in someone's life. God, we dream big that we could offer the gift of eternal life to someone this Christmas season. It would make every other gift pale in comparison. God, revival always comes when we pray. It always comes when we understand and lean wholeheartedly on you. We're convinced, God, that there are men and women and children in this city, in this neighborhood who don't yet know you and haven't yet responded to the gospel. They're the good soil, waiting for the seed of the word of God, the message of Jesus to come into their life and take fruit, root. God, would you use that? Would you use us to be that in someone's life this season? Amen.